This is Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition from WGCU. I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us. The Southwest Florida Symphony kicks off the new year this Saturday with the second concert in this season's Masterworks series. The concert program includes some highly recognizable pieces, new takes on some more contemporary works, and perhaps one of the most well-known works in the symphony orchestra repertoire, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. The concert also features soloist Charles Yang, this Grammy award-winning violinist, vocalist, composer, arranger, songwriter, and collaborator, has performed as a soloist with major orchestras all over the U.S., Europe, Brazil, Russia, China, and Taiwan. He's also a member of the multi-genre string band Time for Three as a violinist and lead vocalist, and truly he's a crossover artist. His artistic collaborations include work with Steve Miller, Joshua Bell, Twyla Tharp, Misty Copeland, John Baptiste, and Peter Dugan, among many others. And he co-wrote the original score for Robin Wright's 2021 film Land, and A Time for Three's 2023 album, Letters for the Future, garnered a Grammy Award last year for Best Classical Instrumental Solo. The concert takes place again this Saturday, January 6th at 7.30 p.m. at the Barbara B. Mann Performing Arts Hall in Fort Myers. Ahead of the show, we're getting a preview and exploring insights into the concert program and a conversation with Southwest Florida Symphony maestro and music director Radu Papanyu. Radu, welcome back. I love our talks, and this is a great way to kick off the new year. Thank you so much for, for having us back, John. It's, it's great to do this right before the concert because it gets us really thinking about the music, and it's become almost a tradition at this point. So thank you for being so generous with your time. Absolutely. Also returning to the WGCU studios is the Symphony's Community Outreach Ambassador, Robert Van Winkle. Robert, again, welcome back to you Thank as well. You, John. Happy New Year to you and to all your listeners. And to engage with us and your fellow listeners about this conversation or any of our shows, we're on Facebook at WGCU Public Media. On X, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. Radu, let's just jump right into Charles Yang. How did he first come up on your radar? Because I know you've probably been looking to bring him to Southwest Florida for at least a few years now. That is correct. And uh, he's Juilliard trained. So we have a lot of common friends. And the the very first time I met him, I want to say it was either 2016 or 2017. And I was in New York City that evening, and I was doing one of my absolute favorite things in the world. And that is a chamber music reading party. And that's Basically, a lot of friends who play instruments get together, and uh, we side read chamber music, which is really really fun. And he showed a little bit later, showed up a little bit later in the in the evening, and we got to play some quartets together. And uh, I, I found him fascinating. I thought he sounded beautiful. He was very very easy to to play with, and was already it felt like a very enjoyable collaboration. And uh, the next. I would say kind of essential element in what really created this collaboration that's going to happen on Saturday. This was during the pandemic. Uh, I want to say it was uh, April 2020. As you well know, the pandemic was a very hard time for all musicians and I think all artists in general because we were really stuck at home. No concerts were happening. And what, what started happening... Everybody started making these little videos that they would share on on social media, on Facebook or or Instagram. And I have to say, I did that a little bit too with a a couple videos. And I have to confess and be super honest, because it was such a hard time emotionally, it was very hard to go through videos and listen to the full contents. And sometimes you would listen to 10, 15 seconds and kind of scroll to, to the next thing. But at some point on my 
I, I kept swiping and uh, I got into this live concert that was presented by the Violin Channel and it was Charles Yang and Peter Dugan. And uh, I was stuck. I couldn't move. I just watched the whole thing. It was about uh, 50 something minutes long. And I found it just so fascinating because I, I've always been told in, in school, you have to think outside the box sometimes when it comes to always re redefining yourself as an artist and as, as a musician, but nobody has a kind of exact recipe for that. And what he was doing, and I thought it was brilliantly because it's not easy to do. He played classical music repertoire at the absolutely the highest level possible, and he would alternate with uh, new arrangements of more popular songs, and those were done at the same level, and that's the part that I find that it's extremely hard to, to do. His arrangements, they were so inventive, the virtuosity of his playing, and Peter's as well on the, uh, on the, on the piano. I just thought it was, it was incredible, and I, I reached out to him about a week later, and I said, do you have these, these arranged for orchestra, and he said they're almost done. Somebody's working on them uh, right now, and that's why I find the project to be very, very unique. And I, I think the way he does it is not only unique; it's extraordinarily uh, inventive, and he really does it at the absolute highest level. So I imagine having uh, Mr. Yang as the soloist in this concert means he probably had maybe a bit more input into the program than a solo artist typically would. Yes, because we wanted we wanted to do something classical, and we have a transition that's I, I think it's really really smooth. We're playing Tsigan uh, by Ravel, which is it's a, one of the workhorses of the violin solo repertoire with uh, with orchestras. Uh, uh, Absolutely wonderful composition. It's, it's really inspired by Hungarian folk traditional music. And after that, we go into Chardash, which is per perhaps the most well-known Hungarian folk mm -hmm. tune mm -hmm. that every fiddler in Hungary and actually in Romania as well, where I'm from, mm -hmm. uh, we all play that tune. We grew up playing that tune. But oh, in even the, in the States, people oh, yes. grow up playing that now. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And at some point in the Chardash, he's going to go into a couple different uh, styles, and that's a little bit unexpected. After that, uh, we go to the House of the Rising Sun, and that is his own arrangement, and he starts by playing the violin. He's even holding it like a guitar, and he's plucking the strings. He plays the guitar very, very, very well. So you'll see this comes very naturally to him to do it on the, on the violin. It sounds really good. Then he's going to surprise all of us because he will be singing as well, and even more, he will be singing and playing the violin in a very virtuosic way at the same uh, at the same time. Now, after House of the Rising Sun, we end the first half. It's almost in a meditative, I would say, kind of kind of state. Uh, we're doing Blackbird, the song by by the Beatles. And what's really fascinating about this, the whole first section you will hear, the orchestra material will be improvised in real time. He will give some instructions to the musicians, but we you won't hear if you hear the rehearsal and the concert will be completely different because we will really try to create the sound of a of a rainforest. Then we go a little bit more into the song, and at some point the rainforest comes back, and then we end the the first half of the show. All right, that sounds I, like it's worth the price of admission, right there. Doesn't yes, it? yes. I have questions about all of this, and we're going to come back to it in just a second. But, but before uh, Charles Yang steps out on the stage, you're going to be performing a piece by this uh, uh, contemporary American composer Caroline Shaw. Um, even if you don't know her work, you probably do. She was involved in composing music for the TV series Yellow Jackets, uh, films like Bombshell, Tar. 
And she is just this really eclectic musician and composer. She's part of a vocal group called Room Full of Teeth, and and their sound is experimental for sure. I mean, it's elements of like yodeling, but also Tuvan throat singing. Um, she's kind of all over the place. This piece of yours that she's performing, it's a really beautiful piece. And I got kind of excited when I read that she wrote it after listening to a performance of a particular Haydn string quartet. Because when I was in a period of my life when I was last performing in a string quartet, I mean, we we went through Haydn like ad nauseum. <laughs> so I was thinking like, oh, I'm really going to connect with this piece because I, like, I know this Haydn music, particularly the string quartets. But then when I listened to it, I have to admit it was beautiful, but I didn't get a Haydn sense at all. Um, and it just made me think like, wow, this really is just part of her experimental nature, perhaps. Right. And we, we can talk about that, too, because it's really the Haydn connection. Is, it's very interesting. It has more to do a little bit with the, with the form of the piece and something that really uh, surprised her. And I'll tell you about that in a second. The reason I think her music fits so so well in the program is because of what you said. She really she's such a talented uh person and she does so many things incredibly well she's a pulitzer prize winner yeah. for uh, for composition she plays the violin uh, extraordinarily well she's a very 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 uh, accomplished singer as well and just a very creative uh, person uh, all around i first heard this piece in uh, in college and I remember w- walking out of the, the concert hall, and I, it's exactly what you said. I thought the harmonies, it was so beautiful. It was almost haunting me in the most wonderful way as I left. I just wanted it to hear it again and again. And to go uh, back to what you said about uh, the Haydn connection, what happens, it's in the third movement of, of the Haydn quartet you're referring to. There's a very abrupt uh, transition, harmonically speaking, in terms of tees, in terms of key. It's something that Beethoven ends up doing a lot because you go from the main key to to something that we call in harmony as flat six but it's really a, a little bit unexpected it's as if a door opens and there's a whole new world so from that she crafted the piece that you you will hear on Saturday in in the same manner it's basically a, a kind of a simple ABA ternary form where you have the first initial material but she wanted the second section to be completely unexpected and almost as if you enter another door. And another image that she had was that you're looking perhaps at the same room or the same landscape, but through glass and everything is distorted. So the the, the vision, the, the way you're seeing the place changes uh, just completely. And after that, the, the ABA, the A section uh, comes back. But that's, that's really what, what she, she's saying when she said it's, it's inspired by the, by the Haydn Quartet. Another interesting thing that she does, a couple of extended uh, techniques. In the first section, you'll hear the, the strings. They, they are moving the bow on the strings, but they're not really uh, creating an actual pitch sound it's something that sounds almost like the like the wind and the other thing that i've personally never seen before uh, in the second section at some point you you stop the string with the bow but on the same string you're doing pizzicato you're plucking the string Hmm. in uh in the left hand and it creates just a very unique sound but long story uh short it's really it's just a really really beautiful uh piece of music i've done it many times and I, i i i'm always so happy to go back uh, to it because I think everybody should should hear it. Oh, wonderful. And thank you for clarifying the Haydn connection. I've been <laughs> racking my brain there. After that, when Charles Yang takes the stage, we've already talked about Ravel's Zigan 
is there anything you want to tell us about this piece? I'm curious if it's a bit of a departure for Ravel. He's generally regarded as kind of impressionistic, but this piece has a lot of those elements of the romantic style too. No? Yes, and I think he... Uh, What's really fascinating in my my view as a conductor when it comes to Ravel, he really had a fascination with sound and also not only with harmony but with orchestration. After Rimsky-Korsakov, uh, who was kind of the, the father of orchestration, I think in the history of music, Ravel is is the next person that really almost brings it to a next uh, to the next level. And what's interesting here, he he heard a Hungarian uh, violinist. Her name was Jelly Darani. And if uh, your listeners are, are curious, you can still go to YouTube and find some recordings and and, and hear her play. Uh, there's something about her sound. It's really very powerful and strikingly uh, beautiful. And it really, it made an, 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 her style of playing made an impression on Ravel. And uh, he was also fascinated by the Hungarian traditions of uh, playing this traditional, more folky music. So the piece itself, it's structured. The first, the orchestra doesn't do anything for the first, I think it's about four minutes and 40 seconds. It's an improvised violin cadenza. It's extremely difficult, very virtuosic, uh, very, very interesting, very, very beautiful. But after that, when the orchestra comes in, you'll hear harp and you hear the the regular instruments of the orchestra play in a way that I think is really trying to imitate how one of those folk ensembles would sound like. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting in terms of the the percussive sounds and the the sounds the harp creates. I think we're really trying to imitate a little bit the the sound of the the, the cymbalum is the the name in English is that instrument it's a it's a string instrument but it's also a percussion instrument because mm. you are you are you're hitting this this uh, the strings with the little hammers and i got to say that there's a huge i grew up in romania and we so it's a huge tradition both in hungary and in romania of playing that instrument and i think uh, ravel is exploring a little bit these sounds of those those folk instruments and the way the ensemble works all right. And then we move on to um, Chardash. Again, one of those pieces people are instantly going to recognize, even if they don't think they've heard it. They definitely have. Um, what do you want to tell us about this piece? I know it's based on a Hungarian folk dance, correct? Correct. And it's it's very similar to uh, to Ravel. It's a little bit more, more folky. It doesn't go quite as experimental as Ravel's piece, but it, it starts with a... Uh, slow introduction, which now we have printed versions, uh, written versions by by Monty. But if you go to a, you know, let's say you're going to a cafe or there's someone playing at the countryside in, in, in Hungary, you're probably not going to hear the exact version that's written. It's always, it, the written version basically, it's a, it's a written form of the improvisation mm-hmm. of, of the whole uh, introduction. And really in the same matter, we, we go... After the improvisation section is over, we go into more of a dance-like, faster uh, musical episode. So the, the two are, in, in terms of their form, are extremely, extremely similar. It's just I would say Ravel is definitely you're, you're getting the 20th century kind of more experimental yeah. uh, part of it. I think some of the playfulness of the piece is sort of like the broad range of, of not just volume levels in a piece, but, but but the way the tempo changes, as you've talked about. And, and I'm just curious about how you do that with Charles Yang. How you handle the you know the tempo robato? Is he looking to you, or are you looking to him? How? <laughs> well, it's a little. You see, I love that question because that's really the fun of being uh, 
of, of being a musician. And in a way, yes, we try to plan certain elements of it, but it's really, it sounds most... When of, you're in the moment. Of, you're authentic in, when you're in the moment yeah. and we do unexpected, uh, unexpected things. So... We, we've done some of this music together before and I think we had a perfect kind of balance of we talked about some things and we also said you know what it's live music it's a live performance let's uh, surprise each other and let's just make music I, one of my big things when it comes to, uh, to to music and philosophy really of making music is that all music is, is chamber music and even more important than the playing itself I think is the listening and how can we together make this the best result possible and be in tune with each other, try to match each other. And the idea of following each other falls uh, straight into that. And I, I have to confess, I do love the element of surprise and let's let's find each other. Yeah, I, I like what you said about the chartish in terms of the notes on the page are almost like a suggestion. It's not <laughs> going to be what you hear exactly if you hear you know, a performance of this outside of a concert venue, perhaps. Um, but with that in mind, I, I'm wondering if you would consider ever, like, including a mandolin in there, because Monty was really into mandolins and, um, you know, not part of the traditional symphony orchestra instrument uh, roster, but something that might lend a little authenticity. I, I don't know. It was just a thought. Yeah, no, and that's very... that's. V- a very valid point. And I think there have been people, I, I remember seeing a couple of uh, arrangements of Brahms' Hungarian dances when it was the same uh, the same kind of thing. And they were done once again, I think it was the, the Budapest Festival Orchestra. They were done incredibly well. And I think they, they added for both the symbol. And I, I want to say the mandolin was on a couple of arrangements as well. And we know in the history of, of classical music, even Mahler included the mandolin in Das Lied for uh, von der Erde. Which was a very, very interesting, but I think he was going for uh, heavenly like like sounds in in the very, very last movement of that. So the instrument has has made its way into the the symphonic area, which is is very interesting. Well, the Southwest Florida Symphony kicks off the new year with a Masterworks concert this Saturday evening at the Barbara B. Mann Performing Arts Hall. I'm. I guess I'm dubbing it Beethoven's Fifth and the British Invasion, featuring <laughs> violin and vocal soloist Charles Yang. And if you're just joining the show, we're taking a closer look at the program with Maestro Rado Papanyu and the Symphony's Community Outreach Ambassador Robert Van Winkle. Again, you can connect with us um, on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. On X, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. So going next chronologically in the program is going to come that British Invasion. A very different direction uh, for the concert with this interpretation of House of the Rising Sun, all a British rock-edged band from the 60s, The Animals. Um, is this going to be Yang's own interpretation? What's? Oh, yeah, his arrangement. It's uh, everything he will be doing. Uh, he did these arrangements with, with Peter Dugan and then somebody else orchestrated them. But it's really, it's, a, it's what I was saying before. He's using all these basically, in a way, extended techniques. He's holding the violin... Uh, down as a guitar, plucking the strings. He's singing, then he's singing and playing uh, at the same time. And it's, I think it's a very unique, very powerful, very virtuosic, very, very virtuosic arrangement. And extremely exciting with the orchestra. Has he discussed with you what accounts for his affinity for that song? Well, I think he's he's one of those musicians that he's open to pretty much 
any musical style, and I think it comes naturally to him. To he he does all of them extraordinarily uh, well, and I think he he's always uh, looking for for new material. I I don't have anything specific about why he chose uh, why he chose that song, but I have to say it was when I opened the 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 video during the pandemic that I was telling you about. It was in the middle of that song that I first started watching and that, oh, that's really what okay. that's really what what drew me in because I was I was truly impressed with the with the arrangement itself I mean it's just done at the highest level uh, possible right and then before intermission oh blackbird but like <laughs> with a symphony behind it it's like the only thing that could make it better um Every years and years ago, I, I had played this piece with an orchestra sort of inspired by the Everglades and the way that the composer had tried to conjure the notion of, you know, the long reeds and the blades of grass and the river of grass was having us play the strings with the wood end of the bow. And you had mentioned earlier the orchestra sort of takes on this role of like a rainforest. And I'm curious about how... How is that done sonically? Well, you you can have a lot of different things, and you will see Charles do this as well. You can be uh, very very high on the violin and create the the sound of of birds, and uh, you can do all sorts of uh, rhythms, and it can be different every single time. You can also knock a little bit on the, mm-hmm. the the body of the instrument on on the wood, and you're once again you're getting some of the same uh, rainforest sounds. But the other thing that once you have the whole orchestra doing this, and we're trying to create an atmosphere sound, so nobody's trying to stick out in a way uh, too much. Everything stays in a in a fairly soft uh, dynamic. There's something about the basically all all instrumentalists in the orchestra will be in in the arrangement will be trying to create sounds that remind them of a rainforest. The dynamics stay generally pretty soft. And there's something about the randomness and how no other bar, because we don't even have bars, no other five seconds will sound like the other ones. I think there's something about that that creates this uh, this atmosphere. The the very first time I've done this piece with him as well, before, mm-hmm. when I rehearsed it for the very first time, he gave instructions for, I mean, literally like 20 seconds or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then we started doing it, and I, I could not believe how powerful and there it is already rehearsed we don't even have to do anything about it because it just happens naturally and does charles yang sing in in this one as well or it's not even necessary we all know the words no he's just uh, he's just playing and at, at some point you start uh, in, in the midst of this rainforest you start picking up uh the tune in in his violin playing and that, that's also strikingly beautiful beautiful oh, i can't wait for that and uh and then, of course, after intermission, we're going to be treated to the, one of the most well-known, most beloved compositions in the classical repertoire of modern times, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Everybody knows this piece, an obvious crowd pleaser. But what made you want to include it in this program? Did you feel like maybe the first half was so eclectic we needed to rein it in a little? <laughs> well, but it's also when we look at the history of classical music. I mean, we're looking at the first half and it is a little bit groundbreaking in terms of uh, what Charles is doing and he's joining us and we're joining him in this wonderful collaboration. And when I think of a groundbreaking composer in the history of classical music, you you always hear, and everybody says, it, Beethoven is perhaps the most revolutionary composer of all. 
Or and I think that's he, why I think it fits right in. And one mm-hmm. of the things he did in that was to start in the minor key and end in the major key, which at that time was, you know, pretty groundbreaking right there. Just that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Robert, this past summer, you had shared kind of an interesting story about Beethoven's fifth. And, and those and, first four <laughs> notes. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, yeah. The connection to Winston Churchill. I, I was hoping you could share that again because I, I thought that was such an interesting bit of history. Well, the the iconic thing about Beethoven's fifth are those first four notes. The, the three short ones and the one long one. The da-da-da-da in that minor key. And um, during World War II, Winston Churchill and uh, the, the um, allies used uh, their propaganda uh, into Germany, and they started it with music, and the music that they picked was Beethoven's Fifth, those first four notes. Those three short ones and one long one, if you're in Morse code, the language of Morse code, that's the Morse code for the letter V, and V was their sign for victory. So the da-da-da-da was the V for victory, and uh, it was broadcast into Germany for many months to say, to say that the Allies were coming and victory was on the way. All right. The more Pretty you cool, know. Huh? Yes. <laughs> And, uh, you know, when this piece was composed, Beethoven's in his mid-30s. He's, you know, kind of frustrated and struggling with increasing hearing loss. Meanwhile, there's political turmoil in Austria. Napoleon's troops occupy Austria in 1805. So there's a lot going in his personal life and in the world around him. Do you... Do you think you get a sense of that, either directly or indirectly, in the piece? Oh, absolutely. And I think, in general, you get a sense of that in uh, pretty much all of Beethoven's uh, music. I think what's there's so I mean we can talk about Beethoven five probably for a yeah full <laughs> other, a whole other podcast <laughs> full other episode but uh, for example when you look at Mozart and when you look at Beethoven with Mozart if you if you look at a piece of manuscript by Mozart it's so perfect it's almost like if he copied it from somewhere and he was he was just doing dictation there's never almost never a mistake he almost never crosses anything when you look at Beethoven it's uh, completely different we have the final result which sounds as if no you cannot replace a single note because you're going to lose the effect but it took him it was a struggle it was always a struggle to to get there even with the fifth symphony the first sketches are dating 1804 and we know it was finished in 18 1808 but he was always not only personally in his life but with the music he was always working always struggling to find the absolute perfect combination of notes and if you look at his notebooks sketches and scores it's always crossed over even there's a very interesting question when it comes to the fifth symphony in the third movement in the in the scherzo first it was performed it had a huge repeat which basically two-thirds of the third movement you would play over again and then about a year later uh, you find from new sources he decided finally no (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna take it now we're Basically, critically speaking, both uh, versions are considered uh, valuable, and it's done. It's uh-huh. done both ways. But it's just a little insight in how he was always revising, always trying to make things absolutely perfect, and he he didn't get to this to these results uh, uh, easily. And I, in a way, his personal life was uh, the same way. Mm-hmm. He he started losing his his hearing. He had so many uh, personal uh, problems. But what I always personally find so incredible in in his mu- uh, in his music because he is considered the most dramatic composer and especially at the time what he did was perhaps shocking for many people but even in the midst of very intense uh, very emotional music his his hope uh, always comes 
comes back. And mm. I think that, of course, Symphony Number no. Five, with what Robert said, is a, a definition. And he's considered the, the first great composer of the Romantic era. And this idea that you start with Mahler, you go through this incredible journey, and the good, the major, uh, does conquer in the end. And of course, we get the the first instance ever of the trombones being featured in a in a symphony in the fourth movement when we go to the to the major key as well. Mm. Wonderful. How can you not want to come to this concert? Well, I mean, <laughs> don't ask right? me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are getting close to being about out of time. And so I know we're going to have to bring you guys back in the future to talk about uh, Alexander Carlson coming up later in the season. And uh, another soloist is going to be your very own new concert master. Um, but Robert, I was hoping we could just take a minute and you could talk to me about the March 2nd event, An Evening in Paris. Yes, it's going to be a fundraiser for the symphony, of course, and our symphony crew, the uh, uh, folks that are dedicated to raising money for the symphony are putting on a wonderful evening in Paris. Uh, all the information is going to be on our website, and uh, it's it's the big fundraiser for the year. And of course, as we all know, fundraising is very important for uh, the health of an organization like a symphony orchestra. So check it out on the website, swflso.org. We'd That's love right. to have you. And student rush tickets. Still oh, available. yeah. And thank you, John. I always love to try to get the message out to your young listeners, students in particular. Show up to the box office this Saturday, one hour before the show show your id and we'll get you in for five dollars it's the best deal in town student rush one hour before the concert all right and this coming saturday's masterworks concert again is at 7 30 p.m at the barbara b man performing arts hall a pre-concert lecture including q a opportunity starts at 6 30 an hour prior to the show and for more information or to secure your tickets visit swflso.org uh, Radu Papano, Robert Van Winkle, thanks so much again for taking the time. I love our talks. You're the Thank best. you so much. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl, or subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by Jared Gonzalez and yours truly. Our director is Richard Chinqui. For now, thanks for listening. I'm John Davis. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida. Thank you.